Welcome to the Second Helping Podcast. Where we chew over all things food, nutrition, and basically anything else that fits on our plate. I'm Emily Sandham, creator and owner of Good Mood Food UK. And I'm James Sandham, younger brother and evidence-based nutrition coach. Welcome to episode three, where we're discussing what is health. What is health to us? What's a healthy diet? Discussing weight and health and touching a bit upon alcohol and health. But first things first, James, what has been your favourite foodie moment from this week? My favourite foodie moment from the week? I've been lucky enough to be on holiday, so I've had quite a few. Um, But we did a, me and a friend, we did a very nice restaurant on the first night and had some red snapper. That was really, really fresh and locally caught. But two nights ago, we went out to this tiny little uh, Spanish taverna and just had the most amazing tapas. So that was that was definitely up there. How about you? Nice. My favourite foodie moment from this week, I made on Tuesday night some raclette burgers for a client. Um, so some recipe development work. And just having raclette cheese, so that melted Swiss cheese that you get kind of when you go skiing, um, was absolutely delicious. And it made for like the ultimate twist on just a classic burger. So it's definitely something I'm going to be recommending to all my followers on Instagram for sure. Yeah, it gets variety, not just the cathedral city. Sounds very exactly. nice. And they have this um, fiery chili flavor as well. Um, so it's got a bit of a kick, which is lovely and it just melts so well so that was definitely up there for me this week nice so moving on to our topics what for you is health health for me covers areas from anything between physical mental emotional well-being so making sure that you have the balance of being healthy in all aspects of your life whether that's whatever you're putting into your body uh, how you look after your mental well-being you know how you physically stay in shape Um, And making sure kind of all of those things align and making sure you're the happiest and healthiest version of yourself. I'm sure that's not the scientific definition, James, but what does health mean to you? I'm I'm not sure there almost is a full on defined scientific definition, but I think I think you've covered off most bases there. It's so easy to think of health as just physical or the absence of a disease or an illness. But you're right, there's the psychological, emotional, social, economic and intellectual well-being too. So remembering that when we talk about health as a general construct is really important. But uh, as I'm sure we'll be touching on today, we will be mainly focusing on physical health and healthy eating because economic health might be beyond our remit. I agree. This has given me serious uh, PGCSE flashback vibes, talking about socioeconomic, physical, emotional, mental well-being. I feel like I had to memorize that for certain exams back in the day. In terms of a healthy diet, how do you go about constructing a healthy diet for you? Or what does that look like in terms of your clients' needs? Shed a bit of light on what to you is a healthy diet. Yeah, it it was it's strange when like you ask somebody what they think a healthy diet is it would probably look something like the eat well plate if you remember that the the portions of each kind of food group that we need within our diet um and you might have seen that on a poster on a wall somewhere you might even have a plate with it divvied up on i know we used to 
but I think that's a very vague guideline because what's considered healthy for a 20 year old is something that wouldn't be considered as optimal for perhaps an 80 year old and therefore we need to start thinking more about individualizing it which is hard for a government but when you talk to individuals about seeing where they're currently at and then because there's no one diet that's perfect for health we can start looking at how to adjust what they currently have to make it a bit more optimal yeah I agree I think even just you versus me we have very different diets and what we consider healthy although I probably know what is healthier versus you know foods that I should probably stay clear of I know we discussed it previously but something where if I think a cookie will really help my emotional well-being because I've had a stressful day it will just make me feel better or again having that kind of sugar high um just kind of a pick-me-up would make a massive difference then that on some spectrum is considered healthy whereas on paper it's probably not so it's finding that balance that works for you and really tailoring your own diet to make sure it's healthy for every single aspect of your life as opposed to just the physical one yeah 100% because you get so many people labeling foods as either good or bad and that that's their words that we try and take out of out of nutrition talk because there is no there's no good or bad foods you might say someone's diet isn't optimal but at the same time there's no one single best diet for health there's foods that are less nutritious and have less of a nutritious value in however that doesn't mean they're like necessarily unhealthy they're just they're just less nutrient dense versus Mm. something like an avocado but i think the blue zones might be an interesting construct to talk about when we talk about health because the blue zones for people that don't know are the areas of the world that have the highest amount of centurions so that the amount of people living over 100 years old and that's why we often hear oh the mediterranean diet is the best for health but i mean the blue zones are spread from america to japan to there is one in greece i know they have the highest ones in italy is that correct even though they kind of a lot of um carbs you know pasta rice a lot of dairy they actually have one of the highest proportions of kind of blue spots and that, you know, they're all living to over a hundred. If for those people that haven't seen it down to earth, that's hosted by Zach Efron, he does an episode on it. Um, it's a great series covering lots of different topics, but one of them focuses on the blue spots. Um, so I definitely recommend giving that a watch. Yeah. One of them is in Italy. I believe it is, uh, it's either Sardinia or Sicily. Um, and I often get those two confused, but it's mm. one of those two. And But what we see in those blue zones is their theme of optimal eating is essentially just less westernized. So they have very common nutritional themes such as no overeating, foods homegrown and prepared, the regular consumers of legumes and grains, which are really, really nutritious. Um, and it kind of do they eat less processed foods then? Is that what is that what westernized means? Less processed foods? Yeah, they don't eat in McDonald's and walk past a Greg's every time they leave the house. But yeah, it kind of corresponds to the the idea of food, not too much, mainly plants. They're common nutritional themes we see across the blue zones. But even when we discuss that in in the idea of optimal health, there are a lot of what we would call confounding variables in that 
So the amount of exercise they get, the amount of sun exposure they get, the social support mm. they have around them, um, all of the lack of smoking, that's another one. Uh, like All of these things contribute to general health and well-being too. So it's not just the diet, but if we were talking about shifting towards more optimal, we would have more homegrown foods and probably try to include a few more grains and legumes and no overeating and perhaps some more plant-based sources. Nice. Just going back to what you said about labeling foods as good and bad, I often hear a lot of people say, I've eaten so bad today or I've eaten so good today. Is that something that if a client came to you and was kind of speaking in that language that you'd try and veer them away from in terms of labeling food as good and bad? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't want people to label foods as good or bad and that's why I would say less nutritious or more nutritious um but I think when I get people saying that to me my go-to answer is what does bad mean for you because if I'm hearing about their diet for the first time what's bad for one person might be bloody amazing for the next person so it's interesting to know where they're at and what good and bad means in their head and then try and shift them away to something more optimal if it if it isn't the best for them and it's not serving them well or actually just reassuring them that no just having a cookie a day or whatever is isn't too bad yeah no it's interesting because I always used to be in that mindset of if I touch anything that was sugary or you know carb dense I used to think oh, I've eaten bad today. And sometimes it would be because I felt physically bloated because as I've said, gluten doesn't sit too well with me. But other times it's because in my head, I've labeled cookies, chocolate, um, you know, even some, you know, like a really healthy fat smoothie. I'd probably consider that back in the day as also being very calorie dense and therefore bad when actually I look at it now and think that's just a really well-balanced, healthy meal. And it isn't, it doesn't sit within that bad category. And I probably feel better for it than eating a small bowl of pasta that I think, you know, has less calories or whatever, or a salad that just contains one vegetable. Yeah, for sure. Moving on to when we talk about what is health, I think we do need to talk about uh, the idea of weight control, weight maintenance, and perhaps for some people in the population, or listening, it's about putting on weight or losing a bit of weight so that we would be in what we deemed as a a healthy area of weight. Yeah, I think potentially it'd be great if you touched upon the specific metrics. I know I've always, there's always been in terms of trying to categorize people, whether it's underweight or overweight, there's always a specific number, whether it's a BMI number, whether it's your weight in kilograms, there's always a number because that's how the industry and federations can, you know, there has to be a line somewhere. However, when you see someone and they could be, you know, in quite good shape, but they're considered obese by, you know, the standard metrics, that's got to be something that plays on a lot of people's minds. Um, Is there any insight you have on this? Yeah, I think, yeah, BMI isn't the the be all and end all. BMI is the one that's most commonly used. And because what is BMI again, just for, for people that might not know, what is BMI? So it's your body mass index and it is your weight in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared. 
anything under 18.5 is considered underweight. Anything above 20, is it 25, 20, 24.9, that's like the normal range or whatever they consider normal. Uh, up to 30 is overweight. And then above 30, you've got different classes of obesity. And the reason it gets scrutinised is because it doesn't particularly serve rugby players that might have more muscle mass, for example, because it just uses weight instead of fat mass or fat-free mass uh, as a figure to calculate it. That's why it often gets scrutinised. But for most of the population, it is quite a good benchmark. But I, again, think it's important. The reason I quite like BMI is because... As I said, there's these ranges of where where people can't where people sit, where we often get too caught up when we talk about weight of just having a set figure for weight. So you might have somebody that says, "Oh, I would love to be 65 kilos or 70 kilos or whatever it is," and it's just that number. That number's almost been plucked out of thin air. But our weight changes daily and throughout the day. And for loads of for loads of different reasons, water retention and like the amount of food volume in the gut, but we just kind of create a one set figure where it's better to say, oh, "I'd like to sit on this range for weight in terms of I'd like to be between seventy and seventy five and give yourself some scope so you're not too worried if you go up down you're within that range, and therefore you you might alter based on whereabouts on that range you're sitting. And in terms of that range, how wide is it usually? Because I know I've stood on the scales before and I fluctuated, like you say, minute by minute, depending on, you know, if I've had a drink or a coffee or anything. Um, what range does that tend to be? If, say, you were speaking to me as a client, what what range would you usually suggest is kind of a healthy go-between? If you were weighing 100% accurately, so this is when you weigh at... For females, weighing at the same time of the month, because during uh, during menstrual cycles, you can put on up to about two and a half kilos. So you could step on the scales one morning and it shot up two and a half kg. So if I just randomly said two kilograms, then um, some people might be like, oh, wait, hold on. Um, so that you need to kind of counter in the fact that if someone's going to use weighing as a measure that they need to be wearing roughly at the same time of day in similar clothing on the same scales all of these other things uh, but i would normally say give yourself two, two and a half kilos each way so sit within a five sort of five kilo range and but that depends on also whereabouts you are if you were within the obese section of bmi the aim of trying to be to work you down into towards a, a more closer to a more normal. And I do use the word normal in inverted commas because that's what it's classified as rightly or wrongly. Um, try and working down and then keeping within the range down there. Yeah. Would you say, you know, when you just said then a more normal range, would you ever say a healthier range or is that something that kind of nutritionists wouldn't use? I mean, I would say it's definitely a healthier range if you take BMI as accurate. Like if somebody is carrying a lot more adipose, like fat tissue, uh, and you can see they're overweight and so the BMI is just, they've got loads of muscle mass and BMI is kind of masking it. Um, yeah, this is this is where looking at the stuff like the Twinkie diet is really interesting 
what a a man called Professor Mark Haub did. He ate 1,800 calories a day or less. And his diet consisted of a Twinkie every three hours with Doritos, some sugary cereals, some Oreos. And then he took a multivitamin and had some vegetables daily. And he had one protein shake a day. And he did that for 10 weeks. And because he was in a calorie deficit, he lost 27 pounds in 10 weeks. And all of his blood markers that you'd look at for what we considered more healthy, like his LDL cholesterol, that's the one we don't really want to see going up. Um, his HDLC versus triglyceride ratio all improved just because he managed to lose lose weight. So weight loss was kind of the winner despite his diet during that period being awful. Mm. That puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Is that because he was having the multivitamin and the vegetables or is it just because, I don't know, why, why was that? Why were all of his, you know, the, the indicators still showing good signs? Because when, when we get into a, what we would consider a more healthy range on BMI, like you said, would, would, would I use the word healthy, perhaps in some cases, um, then, then yes, so was he was he overweight to start with? I don't know. I don't think he was massively obese. I think he, he was a doctor. So he didn't know what he was doing. Well, he was a professor. Um, so like he had a protein shake a day. So he didn't get deficient in protein. and um, But he, he did it almost to set out to prove that he could okay. see these improvements in his blood lipids uh, despite having an awful diet. Because I guess the idea was, yeah, he probably was starting a little bit overweight, but don't quote me on that. I'm just concerned that he was having a Twinkie every, what did you say, three hours? <laughs> every three hours with some Doritos and some sugary cereals and some Oreos thrown in. Don't think I could have a Twinkie every year. They're disgusting. Luckily, we live in the UK. Mm. Um, so moving on to alcohol. Mm. I think there's a lot of conversation around alcohol, whether that's healthy or unhealthy but also in terms of different spirits or beverages such as wine versus gin and things like that. What is your perspective on alcohol and health? I'm quite looking forward to discussing this because I will openly admit that alcohol is one of my vices. And I think that's almost quite natural considering we've come from a extended family that likes a good party. But I think we can also touch on the idea of social health here, like we discussed in our definition, because from a physical health perspective, no level of alcohol intake is beneficial, which sucks. Like there's some things like saturated fat that people hear saturated fat, that's the bad one, but that even exists under what we call a J-shaped curve. So when you're at the really low level intakes that you've almost got none that's actually worse for you than having the stated dose of saturated fat in your diet so there is no physical benefit of alcohol there's only the social mental you know all those other factors there is no physical benefit of putting alcohol in your body yeah no alcohol is probably one of the worst things we can we, we can put in our systems but this is where we talk more about social health and how we use alcohol to to improve our lives and create social bonds uh, like we see between sports teams because out, out of alcohol consumption binge drinking is by far the worst thing we can do 
But when you Google or you f- figure out the definition for binge drinking, it's defined as three or more drinks in one sitting. So that's eight units for men and six for women. Three, and I mean, that's a, that could be a Monday evening in uh, in some people's mind and sometimes mine included. Is that over it? Is that over a specific course? Because to me, binging always seems like something over a few days or over a, a length of time. Does that just mean three drinks in one sitting, period? But pretty much within like, to, I mean, if you were sat at the same pub table and you had three drinks over the course of an entire day and you just separate them by four hours, I guess that probably wouldn't count. But I mean, three pints in an hour and a half or two hours or three glasses of wine, for example, over dinner. Is, is what's technically considered a binge. So it's kind of, I, I think many people will be, well, that would almost be quite a shocking stat for some. Um, but that's where we can kind of talk about how we should use alcohol if we are going to have it in our diets. How can we use it to improve our social lives and moderate it so that it's it's not binging the whole time or or doing anything that's too damaging because roughly drinks like what what's stated as the this is the maximal dose from the government of what's kind of considered least detrimental if we're going to drink is having two drinks over three sessions over the week so having about six drinks over the week split into three different sessions so i i always think it's kind of figuring out how to how to best use that bit of information and I think some people will be going well I have way more than that and some people will be going no I'm, I'm about there and that's that's great but then mm. I'd like to like give the listeners some some almost tips on how you can reduce alcohol intake like planning ahead choosing a smaller serving uh, choosing lower ABV drinks um, What's setting that? budget uh, sort of the percentage of alcohol in the drink so like gin's got like 52 but you can probably i think there's now 30 percent gins and 20 percent gins coming out onto the market or choosing a beer that's four percent not five and a half and a glass of wine that's 10 percent not 14 etc etc what would your perspective on alcohol and health be i think yeah i agree in the sense in terms of it being a catalyst for social interactions i know if I'm ever going to to an event or something like that, a glass of wine, it kind of seems to be a common theme among people and a way of breaking down those barriers and starting those conversations. So in that sense, it really aids our social health and well-being. I wouldn't say I drink a heavy amount of alcohol. I probably have that limit that you were talking about. So two or three drinks two or three times a week is that what you said yeah two drinks over the course of three sessions yeah yeah um so that's probably where I sit although whether it's the weekend or holidays or summer it tends to go a bit over but as I'm getting older I definitely notice it more and I often weigh up is it going to ruin the next day whether that's plans I had or things I had to do I would rather sacrifice those extra few drinks um, to be to feel better in the morning, you know. I've learned from uni days that you can you can get away with things like that. Whereas now I've got I've got more of an agenda. I have things I need to do, so I just 
I think I've learned to know my limit. And I think you do that by making mistakes. You know, we've all been there. We've all been too drunk and we've woken up the next day and can't remember what's happened or can't move because we're so hungover. So I think it's just finding that balance. What works for you? Again, it's that it's finding what works for you and making sure it's good for you. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's it's quite a very, well, a very sensible comment in terms of just weighing up the pros and cons because I like, I've just listed some figures there of what the government deems the max limit to kind of keep them mm. in the safety range. But that's very different from someone that weighs 100 kilos versus someone that weighs 60 kilos. Like we are all very different and having the knowledge and the independence uh, like to, to make your own decisions is most key. And then people now knowing that figure can shift to, if they can, they start, start moving closer towards it. If they think, oh, I'm way beyond that. Maybe I can start putting in some strategies that will help me lower it. Moving in the right direction and making sensible choices 90% of the time, I think is the way forward. Yeah, I, th- I still think it's crazy as a nation. A lot of us drink to get drunk. You know, we go out for drinks. It's, yes, a great time. But a lot of the time we have an in- an incentive or a motive to get drunk. I remember being in Paris and speaking to some locals there. And we were at uni at the time. And they were absolutely mind blown that we drink to get drunk we drink for that purpose of being drunk where they really respect and value alcohol but it's usually because they love the taste of wine they love how it complements a meal you know they really enjoy drinking it slowly having that conversation you know around the table whereas they they do it a lot more socially and I think that again we see that in the blue zones they tend to enjoy dark red wines um as part of their social day and they, they drink daily almost, but they will limit it to one glass normally. Mm. And therefore it plays a role in other areas of health. But yeah, I think you're right. We have a bit of a drinking culture in the UK that, that sometimes takes it to excess. Yeah. And I think it's always, you know, people are there. It's all about the quantity, not quality where I think in other European countries, it's about the quality, how it fits in, like I say, to the meal that you're having or the environment that you're in, or they're really treasuring a bottle of wine that's come from a specific vineyard. So I think our perspective and the culture that we've grown up around alcohol is to drink it for the sole purpose of getting drunk where, you know, we don't really care about what's in it and where it's come from. It's just, it's just to drink. I know people out there are, you know, avid fans of certain types of craft beer and things like that. But a lot of the time, you know, we'll go to a bar It'll be whatever's cheapest and we'll just knock them back and see you in the early hours of the morning. Mm, Sure. So what have we got on next week? So next week we'll be talking about different diets, whether that's a vegan diet, vegetarian, flexitarian, paleo, keto, all of those different varied diets, going a bit into detail of what they are, uh, how they can help our health and what kind of the current population is doing. And your favourite recipes. I'm looking forward to hearing some of those that you can uh, share with the listeners. Yeah, I'll have to dig out a few. We've both been vegan, vegetarian in our time, but we're now pretty much back on the meat train, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, to, to some extent, yeah. Perfect. Well, bon appetit. See you next week.